right, all right, day 301. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so today we're in the book of First John. We are coming uh, towards the end of the New Testament and the entire Bible. And so we jump right into First John. Remember, John, um, if you read the end of the Gospel of John, uh, you, you see that uh, his life was going to be a little different than Peter's. Right. Christ said, oh, uh, it's going to be a wrap for you, Peter, and essentially. And that's how the church has uh, historically took Christ's words. Um, but John, right, was one who would live, uh, outlive uh, all of them. And, and we see that the last few letters uh, are actually his, even Revelation as well. In First John, <clears throat> there's four things, four words you need to remember to understand the book. Life, light love and liars life light love and liars and what john is doing he's writing to these early christians and it's an epistle a letter uh by the apostle to these churches that these false teachers once again um or secessionists some would say so some so scholars debate about whether they were just false teachers in the midst or secessionists who was trying to uh secede right to literally uh, uh break off right from the church who were denial right who, who were in denial about central doctrines of the faith, particularly that Jesus was not the Messiah and that he had not come and that the Messiah had not come <clears throat> in the flesh and that he was not God's son and all of these things. And so um, those who know this truth and confess this truth, according to John, he says they walk in the light, right? They love God and one another. They have a different kind of life. They have eternal life and are not drawn away by the liars. And one word about the structure before we j- jump into the actual book. Um, John as a writer is both simple and profound, right? If, if you read John's gospel, uh, you'll see that he's both simple and profound. He's kind of crazy when he get to revelation, <laughs> but, um, in his gospel and his epistles, he's, he's simple and profound. And the structure of this books, uh, this book seems repetitive. So it seems like he kind of keeps saying the same thing over and over and over and over again, but he uses this rhetorical device called amplify amplification by augmentation. And it's essentially, uh, this circulary uh, kind of means where he comes back to the same ideas over and over and over and expands upon them as he circles back to them, right? And so the themes that we kind of talked about before have this ballooning effect, right? As they grow and become more robust and we get a better understanding of them as we read the whole letter in context, right? And so this community needed to be built up and reminded of the central truths, the essential truths, the, the, the basics of the faith, right? In light of these false teachers who were denying them. And he starts off big with, with, with some big boy apostolic statements. He says, what was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen. Now notice they're talking about he has not come in the flesh. So he's like, we've seen it. No, no, no. We've seen this with our eyes. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed in touch with our hands, right? Concerning the word of life, that life was revealed. And we have seen it and testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the father mm, and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. In combating these false teachers and seeking to build up these churches, he starts off speaking of the beginning, right? He talks about uh, uh, the beginning. He was like, no, what was from the beginning? And he uses language from his gospel, John chapter one, but also from Genesis chapter one, right? And then from there, he gets extremely earthy, right? And what he says, he talks about the things we have beheld and touch was not just anybody, but it was the word of life himself. It was the eternal son of God. The scandal of the gospel is that life, light, and love have taken on flesh and dwelt among us. I love this because, um, as many have said before me, like this is, 
Like, yeah, we can talk about the Trinity for sure. But the one of the most scandalous things in the early church, like harped on it so much, was that God became a man, fam. Like that is mind boggling, right? We will be unpacking the depths of that truth for the rest of eternity. And he didn't just become a man to just show how cool that is, right? Like he, he did it to invite us and to bring us into the fellowship he has with the Father and with the Spirit. He says, this is the message, verse five, that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. To say you have fellowship with the light and to walk in darkness is his point he's gonna to come to is a contradiction in terms, right? And it's funny because he's like, no, 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 like we, we use the language of, um, you know, can a person be saved and do this, right? Like we we, we kind of use this language, like how much sin or how much uh, 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 close to sin this, right? Can we do and still say we're actually a Christian? And John <clears throat> is saying that, no, 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 like you don't really understand what it means to be a Christian. You don't really understand what it means to be saved. You don't really understand what it means to have fellowship with the light, right? And it's so interesting because God is life. He's light and he's love, right? And all throughout the letter, he will unpack what this means. But when he says that God is light, he is talking about an attribute of God, right? And and he gets into something and it's so, um, it takes a second to explain. So he gets into something that is called divine simplicity, right? And this is uh, theology, uh, doctrine of God, kind of one-on-one. Basically, this means that God is not composed of parts, right? We have this conception that people are composed of parts, right? They have a mind, a body, a soul, all this kind of stuff. But God is not composite, right? And so therefore, for God to have an attribute, he must be equal with that attribute. In other words, all that is in God is God. In other words, there, there can't be something in God that is not himself. Why? Because if it was, and I know this is getting kind of heady, um, God will be dependent on that thing being in him to be God. So so what theologians have, have argued and said, they said, no, no, no. Like he doesn't possess attributes like we do, right? As if his essence is one thing and then the attributes are another, right? His essence is his attribute. So for, for our conversation, he's saying that God is holy light, W-H-O-L-L-Y, in and of himself. To say God is light is to say that the subject, God, and the predicate, light, are equal, are ontologically the same, right? God equals light. And to say that he is light, what is that? What does light even mean? What do you mean by that? I, I kind of, I think I understand it, but what do you actually mean? Basically, he is unmixed, a luminous purity without a faint of sin, darkness, evil, or injustice within his being. And to say we have fellowship with him, this is what John's saying, to say that we actually have fellowship with the light and to walk in darkness is impossible. <laughs> He says, no, 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 like, think about it. Like, and, and John is so deep with the metaphors, fam, because in a creaturely, even in a creaturely sense, light and darkness cannot occupy the same space. It is impossible, right? You cannot go to into a room that is fully lit and fully dark at the same time. They don't mix, and that's his point here. He says, if you have fellowship with the light, you will actually walk in purity and in holiness before the Lord, right? This is proof that you have fellowship with him. When, you're, when, you're, when your life is progressively and more and more and more matching your profession, right? And he says, this, 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 this walking in darkness doesn't just disrupt your fellowship with God. He says it actually disrupts your fellowship with one another, right? Because we are meant to walk in light together. John chapter two, first John chapter two, 
he moves and he gives another statement of purpose. He says, my little children, he says, I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. Right. I want you to walk in the light, fam. I really do. He says, but if you do, ah, no, like, like God knows it, that, that we fall and we're finite and we make mistakes. He says, but anyone, if, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And guess, guess what he says? He says, he himself. And I notice how he doubles back on the he. He's like, he himself. No, no, him. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for those of the whole world. Um, So good, man. The word here that he's trying to uh, bring about is that Jesus is our legal advocate at the right hand of the father where he intercedes in heaven based on his atoning work for us in history. Because he lives via the resurrection, circa Hebrews, Hebrews chapter seven, he's able to remain a high priest that can go before God the Father on our behalf. He reigns in heaven as a human and presents himself uh, 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 to the Father as one who bore the punishment that we all deserve, right? And so his point is we don't prefer sin because our sin has been paid for, right? And to the depth that we understand that and to the depth that we grow and live into that reality will be the will be the uh, 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 mark of us walking in the light, right? And obeying his commands he goes on to talk about obeying jesus's commands and in a nutshell he's like if we really have this fellowship and really trust it what he has told us we don't just do what he says we actually do as he does i love this because many people again you've ever met you've met somebody you probably were that somebody who thought that christianity was just about rule following right you thought it was just about doing the right thing and you learn that it's a gift of grace and that you cannot earn merit with god and that he gives it a free gift of his grace by his spirit and by faith you accept and receive that right but Further than that, right, once you receive that faith, it's not about rule following necessarily. It's about ruler following, right? We obey. And, and what that means is we imitate and pattern our very lives after his, right? So we we, we actually do what Jesus did, right? I think it's uh, the great spiritual writer uh, Dallas Willard says we copy the details of Jesus's life. And he goes on. He talks about this walking and following and obeying Jesus. And he says, do not love with the world or do not love the world or the things of or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for everything in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the father, but it's from the world. So he talks about um, how this walking in the light actually, again, deals with our loves. Right. It, it really does deal with our love. We talked about it before in the episode on Second Timothy about these disordered loves and we have and how God wants to mold our loves towards himself and the word for world here. Right. So he talks about the world. And, and, and I think in many modern contexts, this concept of the world is, is, is lost on some of us, not all of us, but some of us. The word for world here in John's gospel is very much or in John's letter uh, is very much multifaceted. He uses it in different ways here. What he's talking about, the very uh, distinct nuance he's talking about here in 215 and following is uh, denoting the values or attitudes that are opposed to God and are normalized in society, right? And he says, this is the things of the world, right? He says, no, no, the lust of the flesh, basically evil desires that are birthed out of the sinfulness of human hearts. He says, the lust of the eyes, the sinful cravings that are cultivated in us and activated by what we see on social media and on TV and out in the world that makes us wanna covet. That makes us say, I gotta have it. It makes us do anything to get it. He says, pride in one's possessions, being puffed up with pride because of one's material possessions or the one, the things 
one owns or or primarily desiring to have one's life defined and marked by the acquisition of material goods this is uh worldliness right um and these are the things of the world and he says the reason we shouldn't crave these things and love these things is because this world and with its lusts are all passing away but on the contrary he says doing the will of god actually lasts he says the former is a miss but doing the will of god lasts forever furthermore he moves and he gets further into the controversy and says no like hey the antichrist is here it is the last hour right and and uh, uh he uses that language that is similar to what paul and in hebrews uses about this being the last days and he says no 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 like you have to understand that the antichrists are here. Folks are denying that Jesus was the Christ. And uh, he says, the one who denies the father and the son, this one is the antichrist. In other words, anybody who says that Jesus is just a good moral teacher, that Jesus is just a religious guru, that Jesus is just a prophet or any of that, according to the Bible, he says that's antichrist-like behavior. He says, you are literally antichrist. You are literally against Christ, right? And you are going against him, not following in his footsteps, but in the footsteps of the ultimate enemy, Satan himself, right? In distinction though, he says, we aren't to be that way. We aren't to believe and live into these false realities, right? About Jesus. He says, we are to remain in him or to use Jesus's language from the gospel of John. We are to abide in him, right? We are to remain close to and intimate with the father and the son. And I love how he talks about the father. He says, see what great love the father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. <laughs> the reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Um, it's interesting because John chapter one talks about how Jesus uh uh, came to his own and his own did not know him. And so it's, uh, I think, I think what he's uh, getting at here is the reality that, uh, you know, if they didn't know God's only son, right, they won't know his redeemed ones, right? Like the world didn't know his only son. Um, so that they won't know his redeemed ones. And what he means by that is, um, you know, the text I think is saying here is, is, is for, for, for the world to not know us, right? What, is, what does that mean? Does that mean, does that mean that we'll, uh, that nobody will know our name and be our friend? No, it, it, it means that, uh, it won't understand us, right? Like, you, like if you read Jesus' gospels in the gospels, uh, spe specifically the, the gospel of John, you see that how misunderstood he was and what he was about. And I think that's the idea that he's trying to, uh, bring about here. And he says, um, we're God's children now, right? Um, and, but we will be, uh, what we will be, he says, uh, has not yet been revealed. And we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And he talks about this uh, doctrine, basically the beatific vision, which is uh, what theologians have called that, uh, this reality that we will one day see God. And the beatific vision is this uh, doctrine, this underemphasized doctrine that basically means that the goal or the telos of humanity is to go back to God. Right. All humans have come from him. And the goal is to go back to him. Right. We will see him as the scripture says, as he is. And we will see him face to face, as Paul says in First Corinthians. Right. And when we see him, we will be transformed by him. 
right? We will look at God and we will look at Christ completely changed, gazing at the beauty of the Lord forever. And we will contemplate him forever. And we will see the fulfillment of our very natures, as theologians have said, right? Uh, we will reach the pinnacle of our existence, right? This is what the soul deeply aches and longs for, even when it pursues it in other things. And I think what uh, my man, St. Augustine, I'm always on St. Augustine, uh, says is so dope. He says, um, man, you know, wisdom is the beloved gazing at the lover's face, right? Like there's a knowledge, there's a, there's a wisdom that is cultivated in us and that, that will be fully mature in us when we see God as he is, like then we will know uh, reality rightly, right? And um, he says, if we have this hope, no, no, like we purify ourselves just as he is pure. In other words, we live in line with uh, the future that we are longing for, right? We live in line with the future we are longing for. And uh, St. Augustine has also said like, yo, like, no, no, the Christian life is like a bride uh, preparing for her nuptial. Right. Like it is it is the bride preparing for her wedding day. It is a preparing for us to see the groom, a preparing to see Christ. First John four, he talks about the discernment we need. He says we need to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Right. The spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of Christ are both present in this present evil age. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming even now. It is already in the world. Any spirit that confesses, right? In this day, the humanity of Jesus is from God, right? Um, <clears throat> it's interesting uh, that there was this early church teaching called docetism, right? It comes from the word dokeo, uh, which is the Greek word for think or seen. And basically it was this uh, early church heresy that the church condemned and said that, um, where people were saying that Jesus wasn't actually a real human, but he actually uh, seemed human. Right. And, and what Paul, not Paul, I keep saying Paul, uh, what John <clears throat> is uh, rebuking and condemning here is that very doctrine. Right. And he's saying, no, 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 like Jesus, it was necessary for the Messiah to come uh, in the flesh. Right. So he can heal those who uh, live in our birth uh, among and from the flesh. And so he goes on. If, if and again, if the first half of the book was all about remaining in the light, right, living in the light, not believing these lives. Then the back half is about remaining and abiding in love, right? Because the ones who remains in the light, the ones who remain in the light and in love show that they are in God. Verse eight, he says, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Similar to light, how we talked about light before. Love is original to God. I've been in talks with people before and they say, hey, man, I know the Bible says <clears throat> that God is love. So. That means at the same time that love is actually God. And it's so funny because um, if you read the Greek text, that is grammatically impossible. <laughs> right. And I usually don't say that to people because I don't want to be off putting or demeaning. But uh, it's just so interesting how clear God is about certain things in Scripture. Right. Um, because in the Greek text. Right. God has the article. So, you know, he is the subject and not the predicate. Right. So God is love is the proper way to read this sentence. Right. God is identical to love. Love isn't a part of who God is. It is holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y who he is completely loving forever and always and can't be anything other than that. And these are things that should come to mind when we think of God. These are things that, are sh that should come to mind when, we, when, when God comes to mind. He's loving. And, um, you know, there's this mutual love between the father and the son by the way of the spirit. 
And this is the love that God invites us into, right? And this uh, is seen and not made known according to John, right? By sending his son in the flesh and his son dying in that same flesh for our sins. Last chapter, 1 John 5, building off the theme at the end of chapter 4 is the idea uh, that we can't say we love this God. We can't see if we don't love the people we actually can see, right? So he talks about the way in which we keep God's commands based on our love for him and then not not in order to get love from him. Does that make sense? So he said, no, 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 like we keep God's commands because we love him, <laughs> but we don't do it in order to get love from him, right? And the thing about grasping the goodness of the gospel is that according to this text, he says his commands is not a burden. He says the, the goodness of the gospel like when you grasp the goodness of it, when you receive and understand and come into the very love of God rooted in at the heart of the gospel, God transforms us in such a way that what he wants and desires slowly and over time becomes the very things that we want and desire. Right? They become the very things that we want and desire. It's an actualization, right? There's a realization that says, oh, like God loves me. So he would never tell me to do something that isn't ultimately best for me, even if I don't understand it, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. Why? So that you may know, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I say it all the time, but it's often hard to remember uh, when I said it. <laughs> eternal life for the Christian is not something that happens at the advent of death. It's something that happens to the believer now and extends past death. The life that is offered in Christ is the only true life. And the only one that will last we've like if you're listening to this and you're not in christ and you don't have a relationship with christ you probably have felt the angst of living life the way you want to live it and christ is offering you right now to have and share in the very eternal life that your soul is gasping for right and what he's saying for to have eternal life is have the is to have the very life of God in the soul of man. It is the abundant life. It is the flourishing life. It is the fullness of life where you can live life to the full as you were created in communion with God, where we are deeply satisfied and we find deep meaning, right? And fulfillment, right? And knowing him intimately because he has made himself known to us and he has made us for himself saint augustine gotta hit my man one more time he says that um our hearts god we were made for you and he says um, our hearts are restless until they find they rest the rest in you father we pray god we ask that you help us believe that truth um that our hearts are restless until they find the rest in you we thank you for your mercy in Jesus Christ's name we pray.